Ilya from Jakarta, CEO and founder of Pochfest Poch Nation. Hello. So, <laughs> thank you. And Siri in the UK, who is the co-founder of Wyangri. Hey, everyone. So, before we start this discussion, like I'm, I, I have to say that I'm quite happy for the podcast because we're quite international. We have. In one side, we have city in the UK, we have Ilya in Jakarta, we have also Bangkok and Hong Kong represented by me and my assistant Taylor. But then like as well, I want to follow up like, um, can you introduce yourself to us? Like tell us more about who you are, your work experience as well as your company. And for that, I would like to give, um, I would like to ask city like ladies first, If you don't mind to introduce always, yourself always, always, ladies first, always. <laughs> Very kind, thank you. Hey everyone, so my name is Siddhi. I was born and brought up in India, and then I went to New York, Columbia, for a undergrad degree in computer science. Actually, I spent most of my time in college doing Bollywood competitive dancing at college, and then uh, decided to join the trading floor. Um, My visa situation was quite interesting as it always is with international students. So then I managed to get deported to London. I joke, not deported, but I definitely got moved to London. So started my final career on a trading floor in London from scratch, not know, really knowing that many people in London. Over the next four to six years, worked on a trading floor, um, took bets, like put on huge trades, For assets over 500 million and it was really exciting got to learn a lot and obviously sort of develop a sort of risk tolerance and make sensible risk adjusted decisions i got very lucky then that i met my now co-founder on the trading floor so she was in sales i was in trading we both were first colleagues and then on a trip to germany realized we both had undercover boyfriends so became really close friends and also then realized we had a very similar problem actually we were always going out to restaurants to catch up with friends and work life was really intense and we were always just quite disconnected she comes from china germany coming from india being at home with friends and family over incredible food is just such a big staple and we just felt very yeah disconnected lonely and craved that in london So kind of fast forward, that gave us the idea for Why Hangry. Why Hangry is a private chef service, which makes it incredibly easy to book a chef at home from just 100 pounds minimum spend. So at an insane price, we are essentially doing what Uber did to sort of the black cap industry. First, it was just for people who were rich and now anyone can book a cab. So our hope and ambition is really to change how we think of private chefs. And now if you want to hang out with friends at home, one click, you book Why Hangry from just 100 pounds. And yeah, that's the new way of connecting with friends. Wow, very nice. I feel jealous now that I am in Bangkok or in Hong Kong. Like, it's not that affordable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So it's in Hong Kong. <laughs> we'll make our way yeah. over there soon. 
Well, <laughs> finger crossed that. <laughs> and you, Ilya, if you can introduce us who you are, your job experience, and as well your company. Sure. Well, my my main, my name is Ilya, and uh, I'm the co-founder of Pouch Nation, uh, as previously mentioned. So. Uh, I have a bit of a diverse background. So uh, I was born in Moscow. So blood-wise, I'm Russian. Um, but uh, I moved to Italy when I was a kid. So I grew up in Italy where I lived about 15 years. And, uh, you know, now I have Italian passport as well. Uh, and then uh, I still was not still after my university years, after my business school, and I decided to explore more. And this is when, uh, after my university, I moved to South Africa. Uh, to work for a consulting company, uh, consulting uh, large telecom operators. So Explore the South Africa was one of my best years of my life. Um, and then uh, still was not happy and wanted to move more. So in my, I would say in my 20s, I probably never lived more than like four years in the same city and, um, and moved to Asia. Uh, that was about 10 years ago. First to Singapore, uh, where I continued with my consulting company. And then uh, in 2012, which is about eight years ago, to Jakarta, Indonesia, uh, I thought that Indonesia would be a great place for, for tech. And, uh, you know, it was true. I mean, when I moved there, it was still very early days. No, no tech unicorns, no major round, investment rounds. And obviously now it's changed a lot. We have uh, you know, more than 10 unicorns and first unicorn went public just a few months back. Uh, so I came to Jakarta, um, uh, launched a few companies, some went well, some went didn't. So it's a good learning experience. And uh, my latest company is called Pouch Nation. Uh, I've been doing this for about six years, close to six years. Uh, we focus on uh, traditionally on large scale events. And our mission is to digitize large, large scale events, everything from you know guest management to cashless payments. So if you've ever been to a festival where you have a wristband and you have some cash on it for, for paying for your food and drinks, uh, in Asia, it most likely have been us. Um, so uh, we grew that business uh, to become the market leader and uh, currently have offices in six markets. So Singapore, uh, Jakarta, K uh, KL, uh, Manila, Bangkok, and um, uh, Hanoi. And um, yeah, and um, obviously pandemic was a tough time for us since we're uh, dealing with events. And during pandemic, we launched uh, another product called Pouch Pass, uh, which is a wearable device that monitors your body temperature and does contact tracing. And uh, yeah, that was an interesting experience on how you, you know, sort of one on one or how you survive a pandemic when your business goes down. And uh, here we are. Uh, we are quite positive that next year with the vaccine levels, uh, things are reopening. People are tired being at home and they crave to get out. And um, yeah, we want to support that. We want to help businesses reopen, but reopen safely. So that's, that's, that's about me. Well, thank you very much for your introduction. So at least now we know who you are, like Sidi and Ilya. <laughs> um, so now like, let's uh, dig into like the... Um, the main topic, which is like getting funding. So, um, so I found you too because like I was like scrolling on the web, and then I found that your two companies has raised raised uh, funds recently. So, can you, uh, CD, first like can you tell us like how much did you raise and on when was it? So we raised a one point one million seed round earlier this year in April. Okay. And what about you, uh, Ilya? 
Uh, well, we've done multiple rounds, so I think uh, overall would be close to 10 million from the beginning. Uh, so we've done our latest one was Series B round in 2019, um, our official round. And now we just did a pre-Series C and going for Series C probably uh, sometime uh, late this year, Q4. Mm, quite interesting. So, so... So what I can like from from you two, like what I can see is that you two has experienced like seed rounds funding right in your city, like whether it's in London or I would say Southeast Asia for Ilya. So like to start, like I have some question around like this, um, because how I understand that is that when you raise money, it, of course, it's different, like depending on where you are and as well of the industry. So. How much is like um, how much is a city funded capital amount in your city? Yeah, so I can start off by talking about London's. I think the range really varies um, anywhere from like 300k all the way to 20 million. And I think we have definitely seen that as the cash is higher in the market generally, the seed rounds are getting bigger. So I remember when we raised around, we decided to actually cap it at one slightly over a million because we based it up based on our need and we didn't really want to give up too much equity and we just wanted to raise enough to kind of get to the next level. But yeah, the range is definitely really quite big now. And I think there are a lot of like kind of, for example, you see the grocery delivery services that right out of the door raise 20 million um, pre-seed. So I think, yeah, big range, but then I would say the median level probably is one to 2 million. Mm, okay. Is it the same for you, uh, Ilya, in the Southeast Asia, or is it different? Uh, I think, uh, well, as I said, it's probably similar and to a certain degree, but what we, I mean, I think the trend has been very interesting, right? So I think, you know, if we're looking at five to six years ago, uh, a classical seed round would be probably 500K uh, in the region. Uh, I think now this is changing. There's a lot of, I would say, volatility in terms of the amounts. And it, it largely depends on uh, what business are you trying to build, how experienced is the team. Uh, we, we see that like more experienced teams uh, that are trying to really tackle, uh, you know, market sizes that are big uh, would raise a lot more, right? So it's not uncommon to see, you know, like rounds of 10, 15, or even 20 million for a seed round. But if you have really big problem and you have a very experienced team, so investors tend to really uh, go for it. But I would say on, on average, uh, nowadays, probably it, the average seed round would be around two mil, two, three mil. And it went uh, up from 500K, which was five, six years ago, right? So, and now people like 500K, they would do a pre-seed round. So the seed is not the first investment, they would be also pre-seed. <laughs> oh, wow, interesting. And so there's some like similar similarities that we can see that like, sure. it's around like one, two yeah, or even like, yeah, interesting. Um, and then like to keep going on this, like, um, okay. Like, of course, when you mentioned like you want, when you want to raise money, of course, you have to look for like those different VCs. So how did you, how, how did you find like those VC to pitch to in your city? Yeah, good question. Yeah. So, oh, I'll just go. Sorry, <laughs> ladies yeah, first, ladies first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I would say like there are obviously a couple ways. There are so many VCs. So I think in UK, there are just over like 400 VC funds. In Europe, there are like 2K plus. The way we started with it was firstly being a part of like couple of communities. So we were part of Google for startups and there's just so many VCs that are actively trying to 
tell startups that they have office hours and just really active. So you get to know what VCs are really active out there and what they're looking for. But then also, I think what was pretty crucial was as you start to do some analysis on your space, competitors, peers around, and then you go on Crunchbase or like online deal directories, you see which VCs invested in those startups. And then you start to realize, okay, the like certain VCs have a thesis and you just want to sort of collate your grid and order it by these VCs are in my space, will potentially care, they go all the way at the top. Because it's not really about how much money or how big or small they are. Like there's so much money out there. It really is about which is the right sort of fit for you. And it could be a smaller VC that's awesome. Or yeah, I think it just really matters. I think who is investing in your space and then really believes in thesis. And I think a quick example of that is we sort of sit in food tech, but actually we are powering the offline social network. So for us, VCs that like are excited by offline social or understand sort of network effects, marketplace is like a lot better than someone who purely does food tech who might actually do a dark delivery provider such as Deliveroo and not us. So I think, yeah, just kind of understanding the thesis and then not trying to narrow down based on yeah, different sectors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, in, in uh, I basically it resonates a lot with me what you just said. And uh, I think in Southeast Asia, uh, well, there, I mean, first of all, I think uh, one needs to understand is that VCs is also not the only route you want to you go, right? I mean, there's a whole mm-hmm. variety of investors that you you, you might want to look at, right? There's strategic investors, there's VCs, obviously, there's angel uh, investors, there's, uh, uh, you know, more institutional investors, there's grants, uh, there, there, you know, you can raise money from really different sources, right? And um, mm-hmm. And there's no one source that you know is better than the other. It really depends on what is your objective, right? Each source has its own peculiarities, and you you know obviously VC is a great source for startups that are planning to to scale fast, uh, and uh, you know uh, startups that are not afraid of burning capital and uh, you know sacrificing capital for growth. Uh, so uh, those startups definitely should go for VCs because that's their their thesis, right? They don't mind if you you burn money for the first years and go really aggressive, but the growth that counts. Um, other, you know, but you know, you might you can build a successful business, you know, with angel money and uh, you know make it profitable and still grow, right? So I, I think uh, I think that's something else to keep in mind. Now, where to find those? Uh, again, different sources, right? So we have different communities here as well. Uh, you know, we have, you know, founders communities, uh, we have uh, different angel networks, you know, that, uh, you know, whether from, you know, Google or other ones. Um, we have uh, websites, uh, there's a website, there's a media company called E27, where you have basically a platform where, you know, you can connect with investors, send them pitch decks, and they would most likely reply. So that's another source of generating leads. Um, but I would say the best, uh, probably the most effective one is personal connections. So obviously it depends if you're first time founder or second time founder, first time founder, you might have a bit more difficulties because you don't have yet the network yet. Uh, but if you're a second time founder, probably you went through it and, you know, you have a lot of VCs that might uh, not invested or invested in you. Uh, and if they don't invest, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad founder. It's a bad startup. It might just not be aligned with their thesis as, as Siri was saying. 
so I think, yeah, uh, it's important to understand what type of company you're trying to build and, uh, and then hence tap in, in one or another source of, of funding to get your, to, to find your leads, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for, yeah, it's great that you reminded that many ways actually to, for, to, to raise money, like when you want to, to, to grow or to scale your company. So from what I understand, like from the, from the two of you, whether it's in London or in the Southeast Asia, so whether you go for the communities or I would say you go online, right? And there are different platforms where you can access to those information and find who might be uh, in your space, yeah. right? But then like to jump on this, um, so, but then uh, what was your approach strategy to, yeah, what was your approach strategy to pitch to those VC? Like, because, okay, you, you try to find them, you identify them, and then what was the next step? Yeah, so um, I actually just want to say I completely agree with Ilya. There's so many different ways, which actually probably makes it very confusing for people listening in because yeah. I think it's like almost like there's too much choice. Why can't someone give the right answer? But yeah, I think that was very true for us also. We didn't just think we wanted to raise VC money. And that actually leads us to this question where the way we approached it was obviously like you need to get your sort of pitch deck, financial model, in place some form of like a pitch and really kind of know what you're saying by you're saying because um no matter how great you are i think it is there is that element of refining sort of your pitch and i think that's like the prep that takes place maybe like a couple months before and you can do it slowly rather than panicking at the end and then i think we were pretty methodical in how we approached it like we wanted to create sort of a weekly plan that targeted how many people we reached out to and then in which order So for us, we kind of had like a week one, week two, week three, week four plan, which started off with week one being sort of all of our sort of angel community in the corporate world, because we come from Barclays and GS and everyone like actually makes a lot of money, is in trading. So and they're all always trying to look to angel invest. So first week, we actually pitched them. And because it's friendly and our friends and family not really family, but they were friends and our peers. We just got a lot more feedback quite quickly. And it was like a good warm audience. Then we too, and along with that, we also reached out to some of our super users. So we are a B2C product. A lot of the customers that use us had already told us in the past, wow, we would love to invest when you start raising. So that was like a good test for us to actually, like a good litmus test to really understand whether this pitch makes sense. Like if the customer doesn't buy, who's going to buy it? And then I think going into week two, so that was like a really good week. And then I think going into week two, we were like, right, we're going to approach some like angels that are quite well known and like make different investments just to kind of hold onto our pitch a little bit more and then build momentum. And then week three was actually meant to be VCs because we wanted enough practice before we start pitching to VCs because obviously you hear you just get one shot and we wanted to kind of like save the bullet. So that was our order for us actually um, the beginning of week three as we started pitching to VCs we realized we were overfunded. So at that point we kind of just turned around and we were like wow okay we actually really want all of our friends and some like amazing angels and actually in our round and we don't necessarily want to double or triple the round so at that point we then just actually ended up closing the round and asking three of like really cool vcs to 
invest in an angel capacity. And I think that was like the story for us. But the plan was to continue pitching to VCs and then, yeah. So I think like as you go into the round, you don't really know what's going to happen. For us, we didn't. Um, half of our round was actually taken up by a super user customer of ours, which we could not have predicted. So I think, yeah, but we did have a plan that we approached week on week. And I think like the things that are important through it is updating other investors on where you are. I think it's for humans. Everyone wants to invest when everyone else is investing. It's just like a human psychological truth. So I think just like telling people, hey, we're halfway funded. Hey, we're 70% funded, 80%. That's when like you really kind of gain momentum and you can close yeah very quickly how quite curious to know and how you approach it yeah well look i think there's uh, there's different ways to approach it in, in general right so i think one way is uh, uh and this is probably for people who maybe are listening and are you know looking at doing their first business right so um usually you can uh, it, it also depends right so one thing uh, one way of doing it is you know you 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 feel a pain point you launch the company you launch a product and you really feel about that pain point that you're trying to solve and then you basically you know start solving it and and then you go and and try to find investors that are aligned with your vision and share your thoughts right and then you basically uh you know uh, go through the process uh, uh, you know as he was mentioning right quite methodical right and and approaching everybody and 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 in running that process right so that's one way of going it but obviously you know more and more and this is especially for people who maybe like second time founders etc uh, there could be other approaches, right? So uh, other approaches would be, uh, and I've seen that working particularly where in Southeast Asia with some founders is that, um, uh, you know, you already quite experienced, you know, like the journey and, um, and you go maybe to the investors first and you say, you know what, which startups are you investing, <laughs> right? And what do you think is hot? So, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the models that are investing, you might like or might not like, uh, but there it's also some sort of like guarantee that if you end up doing something that they are currently investing or they are particularly liking, or, or then, you know, the chances of raising money will be much higher, right? Uh, because it's always more difficult to uh, bring them on board on your mission rather than by, rather than jump on, on, on their, you know, ideas and, 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 and execute. Right. Uh, and uh, obviously, as I said, it's, it's different ways of doing. Um, and I would say there's nothing bad or wrong in one or another. Uh, majority of the founders, especially at the beginning, they start with a, with a problem that they feel is, is um, you know, very important to solve. However, like now what I'm also thinking is that the, like there's certain parameters that you definitely need to consider when you founders like market size, right? One of the, one of the problems, and you don't realize like really how important it is, like, and this is a mistake I've done myself, right? So I've, I've you know, we've, we've done something and we became the market leader. And even by becoming the market leader, we're still not a unicorn, right? Because the market is just too small, right? And and majority of the markets are like that. So what I would inv invite the founders before they start their fundraising process, or even before starting the business to evaluate those things, right? Okay, are you solving a real problem? That's great. Are you passionate about it? That's great. But then look at the other side. Is the market big enough, right? Uh, is that, can you go in five years from zero to $100 million in revenue, right? Is it realistic? Or is it like very far-fetched, right? So those are the other things that you need to wait in because if the other things 
are also, you know, like um, very clear, then uh, it will be easy to, to raise funds because investors are looking for startups that are tackling big markets and can go from zero to 100 million in five years, right? So, so those are the two basic perspectives that I think it's important to consider. Mm. What do you think about it? Like, Sidi, do you agree with Ilya? Yeah, I, I was just cracking up a little bit. <laughs> That's such a like, haven't been through the races. You're like, wow, market ties. Like, you really need to question that. I think there is like so much validity to it. Yes, definitely. I think that's a good, I, like, I don't know how many people probably listen. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you really do get bought into your idea. And I think, I feel for majority of the people, it is probably like going through the fire to then realize shit next time i'm gonna like sort this market size problem out but i do agree i think it's such a key and so important if the market size is small no matter how great you are or passionate it's just not going to be a very very big business mm-hmm. and then like can we agree that when you mentioned like the market size is for whatever industry that you are this is like something that you have to evaluate well let me add also there i think it's important to understand look uh i mean again there's there's not always like right or wrong but obviously there's some businesses that you can start from uh you know one segment and then obviously expand into other segments right so so the you know market size is also not something like a static variable right so mm-hmm. one you can increase your market size as you go right you start start with one service and you launch other services so which your market size grows exponentially and we see that a lot of super apps in southeast asia have done that right they started maybe with transportation they they, they added delivery they added payments they added so that's what they were doing they were basically increasing the market size Right. So that's one. The, the second thing you also need to realize that uh, you can create like many innovations come uh, in markets that are no markets. Right. There might be no market size for that yet because it's a very new product. Right. So people don't know about it. They, they don't use it. Right. So this is where you, you call it. You are a market maker. Right. So you actually go there and you make a market that there was not before, right? And people realize, wow, that's a cool thing. I really want it. But before they never thought about it, right? Uh, and that's 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 very, you know, admirable for, for founders who end up doing this because they really, really radically innovate, right? So, and, and then obviously the, the third thing is that, you know, you, you can expand your market geographically and, and things change over time, right? So, you know, if you look at certain markets, you need to see out the trends. Is that market going to grow or is that market going to decline? So always try to jump on the growing uh, on the ho- growing hockey stick right mm-hmm. okay yeah okay okay uh, so um, so yeah there's many like as you said like many points to to evaluate like whether you're i mean like whether i mean depend of the product the services the market size if you want to even innovate or not so or even if you want to extend your market so pretty pretty a lot of things to to consider then when you want to to fund to raise money but then like i wanted to ask you actually so because like we have like passionation in one side and then we have like we're angry which are like again two different industries so what were like the investment criteria for your industry ladies first yeah of course so i think sort of building up what Ilya was saying about a business that creates a category for us that was true there is no precedent It's more that private chef has always existed and it's a very small niche industry only for the ultra wealthy. And we're trying to make it very um, affordable, accessible and very easy instant to book sort of in like a evolution where Uber did to black cabs into like on demand sort of taxi. And I think for us really like it kind of 
I think it's difficult to break it down into set criteria, but what I would say is like, there's like a very clear um, sort of format of what problem are you solving? What's the solution? Then what's the market size again, as Ilya said, and then it's things like, why are you the right team to be found like solving this actual problem? And then for Heinen and myself, this is a problem with face. We came from developing countries. We had insights, we had the right background to solve this. And I think like once all of that is true, then the biggest thing is traction. It's cool to show you a vision and maybe you're a great team, like what have you done? This will vary. But we are first time founders, we come from a corporate world. So for us, it really was showing that we had like had so much revenues in a short amount of time on a very shoestring budget and like the insights we had learned and sort of like the tests. So I think it could be anything from like this many customers have used us to the repeat rate to how much virality, for example, in our business, 40 to 50 percent of all new customers come purely through word of mouth. Every single dinner party has six other on average guests, which then are potential customers. So if we can nail our experience every single time, that's like a viral channel in itself. And just kind of like really distilling these um, concepts, our learnings and showing traction to be able to prove that not only is this a huge vision, but this is what we have accomplish in this amount of time and we are the right people to do it. I think that's kind of like the package for presenting it. And then I think like when people evaluate you, I would say seed state is just so um, hit and miss. Like you would expect funds to be all over it. That might actually be like, actually, I don't know. Like we had one um, fund say that actually um, we don't believe in the future of like kitchens. Like we don't, like because we believe so much in delivery, we think kitchens will stop existing. And we were like, right, okay, you're not the right investor for us. But then you really understand that their view of the world is so different that actually that makes sense. So, and then also, I think that's quite important to understand how people are evaluating because you don't feel bad if someone who doesn't believe in the future of kitchen doesn't invest in you, right? But then I think on the flip side, like people who have invested in like, network companies and that's anything from Hopin, Spotify, all these people are interested because this is actually like an offline network. So yeah, I think like in terms of presentation, there are, there are things you need to nail, problems, solution, market size, vision, founding team, and then your traction. And then, yeah, take it from there. Mm, okay. Anything you want to add, Ilya, on this? Well, uh, I think in my experience, usually, uh, you know, investors invest in a few things, right? So they invest uh, either because the team is amazing, right? And, uh, you know, they they love the founders. And actually, they sometimes they don't even care what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm serious, right? If, 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 if the, the founders are amazing, then say, you know what? Here's the money. Do whatever you want. And because uh, I trust you. Right. Uh, and, and that is probably, you know, one case uh, in that case it's easy. Right. All you need to do is show your CV and you're good to go. You have a check. Right. Um, there's another case where, you know, people invest uh, because they, they just love the product. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the product is, is just great. Right. It could be, you know, could be linked to deep tech, could be linked to something a bit more innovative. Right. Or, or just product that is very viral. Right. You, you launch an app uh, without any idea and then suddenly the app becomes viral. And, uh, you know, 
people will invest who cares maybe the founder is like high school <laughs> in high school who cares right but uh the product is just killing it right so obviously if we funny then you can hire more senior management and 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 uh, and do it right so and, and then the third thing is you know is probably you know what she was saying is like you know it's your traction right so team product traction traction means that maybe uh you know you have like uh, your product is like not super innovative uh, uh and you are like you know maybe like a decent founder but not a rock star yet uh but uh, you are having like a crazy traction right for whatever reason and um and the, for the traction what i always recommend is to especially at the beginning to focus on one metric right if you focus on too many metrics uh it's it's, it's just going to be too complicated right you need to have one explosive metric right if you really want to raise a lot of money you need to show one explosive metric and uh, that metric needs to be obviously relevant to what eventually you want to succeed right i've seen businesses here in southeast asia just a couple of friends of mine they, they just closed 65 million dollar round without zero with zero revenue and but they had one explosive metric right they had uh, them they had they launched like an accounting app and they had like 6 million <laughs> smes using their accounting app not paying for it but using it Right. So that's a metric. Um, so I think, uh, you know, you need to figure out like which of these three criteria are going to fit. Uh, obviously, if you're a first time, most likely you will need to show some good traction or great product. Right. Um, and um, and convinced that that's that's the next big thing. Uh, but you would need to imagine that VCs like to invest in something that can become really big. Right. So they would need to to see, um, you know, the potential of get of that big and obviously some initial signs. Right. Uh, or they just believe on the space or in the founder by before even anything. Right. You could raise just with a deck if the investor believes in that. Right. So that's that's kind of my personal observations on the space. Mm. So it's like interesting because like like listening to you, too, I can. We can see that there are like different variables, right? One is about who you are and your vision, right? So as you say, CD, you like you and your um and the other founder of Wangri, you are like a package and you respond well to the to your product and your market because this is who you are and your background, right? Actually. And then on the other hand, we have like Ilya as well, who has like some experience and the way you approach the founder, okay, so it can be more if you have trust or not. But then like I feel like this is one of the major variables that have to come, like the product and the traction. Can we say that or or not? And yeah, yeah, okay, interesting. Good so, summary. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's interesting because, like, for me, okay, so I've never um, read the funds, but then I, I do watch like some TV show about like funding, like Dragon's Den or Shark Tank. And actually, I saw you, City, <laughs> and uh, it's true that I remember like seeing like, um, okay, what amazed me about this TV show was more okay the personality of everyone when they talk about it because it was always like okay they talk about their vision etc so I was like okay I feel like it's like really important to to make sure that you can expand your vision how um how confident you are about your product right and then maybe the investor is ready to follow you on this or not but at least you're clear in what you want and where you want to get Right. Yeah, definitely. I would say like, I think the one thing is like, you might as well, either you're going to like be successful or you're going to go down, but you might as well have a lot of confidence doing it. Because I do think like people and humans follow, there's like a certain energy that comes with someone that's confident. Like you're not going to back someone who's a little bit unsure of themselves. And I think this is maybe a note more for actually some females than men. Because I think there's like a generally a difference where 
at least as like a South Asian woman, you were tend like you were asked to kind of be like a bit more conservative. Like you wouldn't say, "Oh, I did this," or take credit very openly. Whereas like it comes a lot more naturally to men, and I think it's just go ahead and do that. You know, like people do respond well to confidence. That's I think that's like one key thing you can kind of just drill in it and help stack the odds in your favor. Mm. I, I completely agree, and I, and I think uh, you know in general, in, at least what we see in Southeast Asia, like we see love, you know, female founders. I mean, if you're a female founder, it's definitely a plus, right? So uh, you know, uh, it's 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 a big trend. I mean, and uh, so it, it doesn't have to be guys only doing this, right? Even if it's tech, and uh, and I know a lot of very successful female founders here, and and they're killing it, right? So. Just, uh, you know, important not to be afraid and, you know, go with what you think, uh, you know, you believe in, right? Yeah, right. Wow. Okay, so Sidi, we're waiting for you, like in Southeast Asia. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So um, it's been already like 45 minutes. So I have like some few more questions before we wrap up. (coughs) More like for me, like practical, uh, I would say like question now. So um like how long was the funding process meaning like how long from the moment that you decide to work with an investor from the moment that it really happened like how long was it and how, how did you manage this i can um, i can i can jump here mm-hmm. sorry mm-hmm. We, we changed the rules for 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 once <laughs> i like it uh, I think, look, I think you need to be, it obviously depends if the stars are aligned or not, right? I mean, uh, when you start your funding process, you need to understand whether you're ready for it, right? Uh, I think that's 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 the first, right? Uh, you know, if you are getting in the wrong timing, it might be very difficult and it might drag for very long. Um, so I think uh, that is one. Uh, on average, however, you know, you would see a, if, if the funding process is, is roughly about six months. Uh, it could be less, could be more, right? It could be three months, could be nine months, right? Uh, but uh, on average, I would say it's that. Uh, so usually, if you are ready for it, um, meaning you have done your, you know, your, your 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 data room, you have done your decks, you have done your business plan, you have done all that, right? So if that is done, you go with your investment teaser, with your deck, uh, you you collect leads, uh, and if you already have done the research on to contact right so that is pretty quick you send out the teaser to uh, you know 100 people and then you start collecting start doing meetings one after another right and um, you know and you do all these meetings that can be done you know in, in a few weeks like three four weeks stops and if, if if everything is in order you have a great business you'll get a term sheet right you get a term sheet uh you know after you know a couple of like one to two months right depends on how long you do that and once you get a term sheet, you go into DD, which usually uh, lasts. Depends on the on the uh, if you are a very seed, there will be no much DD because you don't have anything. So you basically jump straight into agreement. So another month to close the agreement. If you are more advanced, you will have probably at least two, three, two to three months of due diligence, where they will deep dive in your legal documents, you know, financials, etc. And in parallel, you will do your SHA and SSA shareholders agreement and share subscription agreement right uh with the lawyers back and forth negotiating clauses and then you close the deal 
right? So, so in ideal case, as I said, if you're more advanced as a company, it will take you like somewhere between three to six months. However, important to remember, if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, if you haven't done your data room, if you haven't done your decks, if you don't haven't collected your lead of investors and you haven't been talking to them for the before for six months or a year, then that whole thing can can become just a monster exercise and last uh, you know nine months or even longer, right? Uh, so that's at least kind of like uh, a quick quick thing from my side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's pretty comprehensive. I would say so. I would, I guess, yeah. What else would I add to that? No, I think that's pretty good. I think I love the idea around like doing all this work, and I think that's actually the most time consuming. Even things like making your list of contacts and ordering them because that. A lot of research goes into it and we just hired like an intern analyst to actually do that for us but i think that's like really the prep work and we assumed it was going to take us three months it was a lot quicker but really when you enter it you just don't know how people will respond and i think the one other bit i'd add is like i think it's just it's all about getting warm introductions so we were first-time founders and i think it um there there can be like a theoretical debate whether it's fair to have warm introductions or not but i think like the key reason is people want to see if you can be crafty enough to get a warm introduction can you find someone who knows someone who can then introduce you and i think that's also sort of like selling and pitching in itself so we had actually managed to get a warm intro to every single person on our list well every single person we really wanted to reach out to and i think that just expedites the process because that just means people are going to come back and then speak to you and give you a shot one way or the other so i would say like yeah the extra bit of focus is just trying to get a warm intro which makes such a big difference because it just adds credibility mm, okay okay well, so one, last thing that i also recommend is uh you know when you start your fundraising process or even before like maybe you know three to six months before uh you already have your pool of investors uh start sending out monthly uh email updates on your business right so i think that's very important that's something i haven't Definitely. been when i started right so if you can do it like every month you send an email to your pool of leads and saying, look, this month we achieved this, this is our progress, then the next month's another one. So you get them already mentally prepared. So when you kick the fundraising, the guy says, okay, I've been tracking this for the past six months. The guys are doing great. They're growing. They're you know doing the right things. Okay, I want to look into it, right? If you, if you don't do that, then you are basically starting with cold leads, which always takes time. Mm, yeah. yeah, good. So good. Uh, yeah, very good insight. Then. But then like, again, coming back to you to what I can hear is that preparation is key, actually. And this is like the most time consuming. Like, um, so, so yeah, for the audience who is listening to us, like, keep in mind yeah. that you have to be prepared <laughs> if you want to go for fundraising. Like um, actually, Ilya, you mentioned a lot of things like about like DD, the uh, the term sheet, etc. Like um, during your fundraising, did you have like um, did you enter in a in a exclusivity exclusivity negotiation with one of the of your investor or not? Well, you know, once they give you the term sheet and uh, you know you sign the term sheet, there's always like no shopping around clause. Right, uh, that uh, you know says you cannot shop around. Uh, so uh, I mean, obviously, uh, my recommendation is to um, how to say, it? Um, if you sign that, obviously you need to respect it. Uh, on one hand, on the other hand, uh, you know things can go uh, wrong till the last moment. So never think that the deal is done until you have the the money in the bank. Not even the agreement signed. 
Right? In my experience, I had agreement signed and then investors saying, no, sorry, uh, we changed our mind. Right? So even a signed agreement doesn't mean anything in this world. So um, uh, exclusivity clauses, definitely, you know, they are there, but uh, it's good. If you run a proper process, you will always have a few uh, term sheets and you might go with one term sheet for a period of time. Just make sure that that exclusivity is not too long. Usually it's about 60 days. If something went, goes wrong in between, uh, you can definitely, uh, you know, cancel your term sheet and just go with the guys that give you another one, right? Um, so just be, be careful on that. Mm -hmm. And what about you, CD, on this? Yeah, so our, given we like, yeah, we were kind of funded before we even got to a full VC round, actually, like I think for us, the process didn't include any sort of exclusivity, but I think we just did angels, super users, and then some VC angels. It was, so if you, I guess, raise an angel round, it's just very flexible and this will not come up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. 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 Great. Um, okay. And then like, I still have like two questions I would say. So one is about like, um, manpower, I would say, because like CD, you mentioned that, yeah, you hire, hire like an analyst, right? So of course we know that uh, raising money requires a lot of paperwork. So apart from uh, hiring this analyst, did you uh, hire like other people to help you in this process or how did you manage this? I think we're definitely a very lean, keen, small team. So I think no, and there's like limited money really with a startup. So I actually, we did, we hired like an intern for a month. So it's actually very like the person's quite happy doing this research for us, getting paid a little bit in uni and then same for us. And the rest of the docs were for like Hein and I pulled it together ourselves. But I think again, as Ilya said, at seed stage, it's mostly um, the pitch deck, the financial model. I think those were like the key bits to make sure we had in place, which we did ourselves. We got our intern to do the research on all the funds and contacts and like put together a premium list that that will just save us time to then filter through. And then the data room relatively so limited that we put it together ourselves and actually just stored it in something like Notion. And then we just use those links and we use DocuSend um, to send our pitch deck and any sort of supporting materials because I think it's just really good to see who's logging in and trying to access that and really kind of helps you track progress because you're like, holy shit, actually that investor in London, they saw this thing, cool. They're clearly interested. But I think it was fairly, yeah, a lean effort, especially at the seed stage. We just did it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what about you, Ilya? Yeah, look, I think, uh, well, I, I've tried the different things. I've raised money myself. I hired people to help me out, uh, which didn't work out. Um, so I think uh, it, it depends on what stage you are. I think it's oh, if you do it yourself, it's always better uh, because nobody will know your business better than you. But uh, on the other hand, it's good if you have somebody who kind of like, it's good to listen, right? When you do pitch and people say, look, uh, uh, I'm not going to invest. It's very important to understand why, what's, what, why, what are the reasons? Sometimes founders tend to not listen that much, just next, 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 next. And maybe if they're good, they even will raise their money, right? But then eventually they're going to hit the wall. So um, it's always good to reflect on uh, what people say. Um, but uh, yeah, usually I do it mainly myself, which is a good and a bad thing because I will become a bottleneck sometimes. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, people want to hear from the CEO speaking, right? If we, you know, if for fundraising, so if you put somebody else in your company to fundraise, it 
they will not going to be taken seriously, right? So the founder and CEO always needs to uh, do that job. So actually the founder needs, and CEO needs to do two things. Needs to overlook at HR and needs to do fundraising. If you're good at that, then the rest, if you hire well, the people will do the rest, but the fundraising is one of the things that unfortunately you cannot completely delegate. You can delegate some pieces of it here and there, business model, whatever, but you need to know your numbers. You need to know the story and you need to be able able to pitch, right? Once you go into DD stage, then yes, then it's different, right? Because it's about the details. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, another advice for whoever is listening, uh, there's a lot of vi- virtual data rooms that are not that expensive. They might cost you, you know, 50 to 100 bucks a month. Uh, and But it's good because you can see who's logging in, how much, what documents they're looking, how much time they're spending. So you have right, quite advanced analytics that are giving you insights or where to focus uh, next and uh, what these guys are interested in. I, I had investors who were just looking at the CVs of the founders and I'm like, okay, they're not looking at anything else. So, so, okay, clearly that's the point they're interested in because they didn't even open the business model, right? So that, those are the insights that you can get along the way that can help you to, to do a better process. Mm, okay, okay. So, so yeah, for me, like the takeaway here is that, uh, I mean, you can do it by your own or you can have like a lean team, but at least like everything remains on the CEO founder shoulders, right? And it's good that you mentioned about DDD because I wanted to ask question about uh, around it. So, Sidi, uh, you mentioned some tools and as well, uh, Ilya, you mentioned that you, there are like a lot of online uh, solutions. So, can you name like uh, the one that you used? I use uh, DG5. It's a portfolio company of one of my investors. So, DG5. Yeah, okay. We use um, DocuSend. I think pretty. Yeah, I think it's quite. It's relatively cheap, generic for just password protecting. Um, yeah, documents and sharing it with investors. Okay, so taking a note, and I will also like put the links in the descriptions of the podcast. So anyone who wants to to access or to find it, they can have, they can have it. Um, so yeah, it's been already like almost an hour. So I will ask my last question actually <laughs> to wrap it up, um, which is like, you have like, you gave already like a lot of insights, a lot of like advices as well for anyone who wants to raise money. But then like, if you have to give like one advice, one to someone who wish to raise money, whatever, like the round, um, what would it be? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I would just say, like, if if this was easy or if your idea, like, just made so much sense, someone would have done it already. So I think, like, starting a startup really is sort of going against the odds and, like, trying to get something in this world and really kind of, like, pushing through, right? You're, like, walking uphill and trying to push a boulder uphill, and it's just like, ah, and every time it's really heavy. So I, I would say, like, there will be more people who don't believe in you than believe in you. And that makes sense because it's a startup and it's like, you just need a few or a couple or one person to believe for it to be a reality. So I would say like, for it's like discard a lot of advice often. There is so much advice out there. So many people who are so sure the way you should do things. A lot of people will tell you it might not work, but I think ultimately you get to decide and you have to keep going. So my advice really is to discard a lot of advice where you feel it doesn't suit you. And then like, yeah, you have to make your own way. And ultimately you have to yeah, go with what your gut thinks. Okay. And what about you, Ilya? Yeah, no, I agree. Look, I think at the end of the day, uh, stick with what you believe in. 
right? And uh, you know, you you will learn al uh, along the way, right? Uh, so you know, my advice is you know uh, don't give up. However, you know, persevere in a smart way, right? So uh, I think it's important to you know stick to your vision and what you want to do, right? But obviously, you know, don't be too stubborn and, uh, you know, and listen to what, you know, other people say. Don't necessarily always take everything into account, right? Some things, you know, but some things might be something that you might not yet understand at your stage. And and probably this is some of the mistakes are personally done. If I probably listened a bit more, uh, I probably would do some, some choices differently. Uh, but I knew it was a school, a learning school, so I went through it and, uh, you know, um, now and afterwards you always understand your mistakes right so yeah. i think the, the way i always uh, recommend for for everybody is like look you're here you want to get here right and uh, eventually you will get there right it's just the question is how big is the space and how long is going to take you right so uh you know if you are smart you learn fast you know you can shorten this very quickly and if you listen to some good advice not the bad advice then you can shorten that cycle. But if, you know, if it takes you longer, it takes you longer, but you can still get there if you persevere. So don't give up. Mm, very nice. Okay, very nice. Good advice. So it's like, I would say more like a mental exercise than for me. <laughs> don't give up. I keep it up. And as well, like listen to the right people, right? Like uh, disregard like the noise. Okay, yeah. so... Um, so yeah it's been already an hour like for me okay just to like uh, to recap uh on this like topic getting funding in the east versus in the west um for me the main takeaway that i can hear from you too is that there are some like uh there's a lot of similarities actually when you when you want to rest money whether you're in the east or in the west like what matters the most is about your vision who you are as well like the product and as well after that the tractions right so, and then like whatever the variables will come and play, then it's up to you how you will handle it and manage it, right? But then the process itself is the same, right? Correct. Yeah. Cool, great. So that was, um, yes, yeah, so I'm going to conclude and say that it was a very nice to talk to you, talking to you actually, a very nice episode because I mean, for me, I learned a lot through you. And it was really like a honor for me to, to have you too, because I know that again, you're really busy. So like you, you gave me like one hour of your time. Uh, and as well, we had a lot of insight, a lot of advices from you too. So yeah, very nice. Thank and you. yeah, and I would like to wish like all the best for your business, of course. Fingers crossed. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank Have you. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Cheers. people thank you for listening i hope you got some good insight from us have a beautiful week and see you next time